And I've been told, you know, you don't need a board of directors. That's more nonprofit. You need a board of advisors. So how do we start that? How do we start a board of directors? Should it be a board of advisors? Do we need both? Oh, Winona. The <laughs> omnipresent board problem. Yes. Every new founder thinks they need to solve the minute they start their business. Welcome to the iFund Women Show, where we are talking to one entrepreneur about one huge problem in her business, and we are going to help her solve it. I'm your host, Karen Kahn. My team and I founded iFund Women to help female entrepreneurs get access to the capital, the expert coaching, and the lucrative connections all designed to grow our ideas into profitable, sustainable businesses. Let's do this. So today I am coaching Winona Satcher, who is the founder of Maker Studios, a manufacturing company that turns shipping containers into useful real estate. Welcome, Winona. Thank you, Karen. It's so great to see you again. It's been since 2016 when we started on this journey together. And I haven't seen you in person since. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. um, We've seen each other on many, many of the broadcasts, though, which is good. Right. Which is good. And and that that, that really speaks to, I think, you know, iFund Women, just how you've built that into your operation as an organization. Uh, And so that's why I'm glad to speak today. Well, great. Well, we're excited to jump into it. Okay. So I want to get started with just a lightning round of questions for you, Winona, just so the audience can get to understand your business, mm-hmm. your B2B, B2C, what you do. And then we're going to get into the one problem you want solved today. Okay. So quick lightning round. Okay. Number one, where is your business located? So Maker Studio is located in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I was born and raised. Wonderful. Okay. So we know that you know this because you've practiced this with the iPhone Women Method for four years now. So give us your 30-second elevator pitch of what Maker Studios is. So Maker Studio is a green manufacturing and design build firm. We specialize in creatively reusing shipping containers and materials uh, as effective, equitable, sustainable approaches to real estate development. And we do that uh, through hiring local tradesmen and women to help them build the change that they want to see by customizing shipping containers into innovative, affordable housing, uh, community service space solutions, as well as uh, civic spaces. Amazing, 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 amazing. <laughs> and I can tell people from just knowing Winona and her business, it's in- truly incredible what her and her team can do with a shipping container. <laughs> Thank you. Like a very cool space to work. They were during COVID creating health care clinics for COVID treatments. So it's just incredible what, what she's done with a shipping container. <laughs> okay. So who exactly are your customers? And what problem are you solving for them? Sure. So our customers, especially as far as the problem we're solving, those that need access to affordable housing and community care spaces, uh, but also those that not necessarily need to live in our spaces, but clients that want to build spaces, that want to partner with us. So real estate developers, major corporate institutions from academia, we need student housing, innovative student housing as our land shrinks in cities um, and gets more expensive in other areas. That also includes major brands uh, who have... CSR programs and initiatives, corporate social responsibility initiatives that align with our goals to, you know, creatively reuse and uh, promote responsible consumption of materials, Um, and also uh, private landowners who really just want to solve a problem. So we have a global housing crisis exacerbated by COVID, 
And they want to utilize our products and services to help solve that. Perfectly said. That is <laughs> what's great about that is you have so many opportunities for customers, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Would, would you say that your company is a B2B ultimately? Ultimately, yes. So you're not selling direct to consumers. You're selling to other businesses or institutions who need creative solutions for housing. Starting out, we were direct to consumer just because we were providing a specific product. But as we scale up our production, what's critical is that we are transitioning to that B2B specifically, you know, 99%, I would say that's our customer base and that's how we operate. Great. That's smart and fantastic. Notice the pivot people started off as B2C, realized there was a much bigger opportunity in B2B, went for it. Okay. So, and how long have you been in business? This is the last question of the last <laughs> problem. So uh, we formally incorporated uh, Maker Studio as an LLC in 2017. As you know, we started out as a nonprofit. Uh, and uh, for us, what's more sustainable from an operations standpoint and to raise money and to fund what we do, fund social impact is to be a for-profit company. Yes, uh, so we, we, we incorporated that way in 2017. I love that. I love yep. a nonprofit to a for-profit story that just gives me the tingles all over. Okay. Winona. Yes. Also known as Nona. That's right. What is the one problem that you want to have some insights into and have solved today on the iPhone Women Show? So we are in that, that weird space of transitioning from the adolescent space of from, from going from startup uh, to small business and to be an industry leader. Because we are getting more and more press, we're getting more and more interest to scale our production. We really need to establish, I need to, as CEO and founder, establish a board of directors. And so the question is, number one, how do you even engage those? Uh, how do you start that process? Uh, and I've been told, you know, you don't need a board of directors. That's more nonprofit. You need a board of advisors. So it's confusing information because I don't necessarily know the difference. I've served on board of directors as for a nonprofit, but we are a for-profit company. And so advice is important, but also helping us to move our company forward with those individuals who are dedicated to our success. So how do we start that? How do we start a board of directors? Should it be a board of advisors? Do we need both? Oh, Winona, the <laughs> omnipresent board problem. Yes. Every new founder thinks they need to solve the minute they start their business. Right. But- you're actually, you aren't part of that bucket. You're solving the problem when it needs to be solved, which is now. So kudos to you for not jumping into, you know, <laughs> when you incorporated back in whatever it was, 2017, yep. into an LLC to transition from a nonprofit to a for-profit, most newbie founders, and you're not a newbie, obviously, like we're both seasoned women, also known as Gen Xers, um, <laughs> yep. which is a good unfair advantage, by the way, in entrepreneurship. <laughs> Seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't jump into just like grabbing anybody that wanted to help you and giving them equity and making them an advisor or a board member, like good on you, because that's a huge mistake that so many new founders make. Hmm. All right. So I want to ask a couple of qualifying questions and then I'm going to give you my thoughts and how I would normally coach you on what you should do. So what specific type of expertise do you need right now? Like, what do you need the most help with? It could be manufacturing logistics. It could be real estate. It could be getting new customers. It's a great question, Karen. So right this second, ASAP, uh, we need expertise in manufacturing logistics. We also need expertise in business development and partnerships so that we can outreach and market and attract those individuals who are major corporate corporations and brands to be our customers and collaborators. And then of course, marketing strategists, someone who's good at helping us to be able to do the outreach. So I would say manufacturing, 
uh, logistics and strategizing, uh, business development, brand partnerships, and marketing. Those are the top three. Got it. Okay. And then the other question before we jump into mm -hmm. some potential answers, where are you in the life cycle of your business? So you're a startup until you IPO or exit, essentially. Yeah. That's just the technical term for startup. But Got where it. are you kind of in the journey? As far as the journey is concerned, we are at that pivotal point of scaling production, not just piloting our production space manufacturing facility here in Atlanta, but also being able to have that pathway and that journey, three, year, three to five year journey of scaling our manufacturing across the United States and globally. So we are at a critical pivot point of not only securing uh, the funding that we need to secure a manufacturing facility, which will scale up our production. Now that's where we need that subject expertise in manufacturing logistics, because we know our product down to a science through prototyping and, and raising funds through iPhone women. And Visa, of course, as a partner that allowed us to do that. Uh, so we know our product down to a science. We know what it feels like to work with containers and recycled materials, but there's a whole other conversation around how do you now efficiently and effectively scale? That's where that manufacturing support will really help us. Got it. Okay. That's very helpful. So off the bat, it seems like you need to bring on like right away advisors who can be doers and help you with the most important things right now, which to me, and I'm listening to you, and this is coming from sort of like the monetization guru, funding can come from customers. Best sure. funding is customers and revenue, number one, right. mm -hmm. you know, and then you've got all the other ways to get funded, which are, you know, we're not going to get into that. But mm -hmm. so to me, right off the bat, you need two advisors. Notice I didn't say board members. Notice mm -hmm. it's advisors who are doers who one, you need someone to help you create the product. So you need an expert in manufacturing logistics. Yes. That's mm -hmm. numero uno. Number two, you need someone who can sell the product. So this is a proven biz dev, salesperson, marketer, somebody yes. who is in the business, has a track record, and can help you land that first big fish, that first big account that's going to get all the little fishies to come swim over to you. Mm -hmm. Does mm -hmm. that does that track for you? Perfect. <laughs> that that is, and and it secured those partnerships because you know we have people, you know, potential real estate developers internationally known real estate developers contacting us now, there's two things we can't do. We can't fill the order. We're just now trying to get that manufacturing facility. And even if we did, what does it look like to secure that partnership? And I'll be very honest, especially in manufacturing and construction, you know, when you see my face pop up on the scene, all of a sudden it's, oh no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a woman founder uh, who's a woman of color who probably doesn't know anything about construction or design, which is not true. Uh, and so having that, that confidence and that support in that space would be so helpful and critical right now. I mean, this could be a whole other episode, but yes. <laughs> I mean, but, but quite frankly, yep. audience, mm -hmm. this is what female founders and specifically female founders of color face. Yes. Unconscious bias constantly, constantly, especially when known as in manufacturing. If you don't think that there's just mostly men always, and maybe some white ladies in there, you're mistaken. So it's, it's, I can't imagine how challenging it is for you. So that's something to consider when you're bringing on your advisors and your board members. As much as I hate to say this, you're going to want to consider bringing on people that don't look like you. That's right. That maybe look like everybody else to, again, unfortunately, and I hate giving you this advice, but I'm just being real because our first board member and our first advisor was an amazing white man, because mm -hmm. I knew 
the obstacles that we would be up against as three moms starting a fintech company. Mm-hmm. So we were strategic. I'm not saying you have to go out and find a white man or a white, <laughs> you know, a white person, but you want to be able to find the people that are going to be the experts mm-hmm. in creating the product and selling the product. And just based on the numbers of your industry, most likely it's going to be a Caucasian male. That's Fine. right. Okay. It is what it, it is. What it, is. <laughs> it is what it is, my friend. It's all about making you rich. At the That's end right. of the day, it's all the money for all the women now. Hallelujah. Okay. The advisor piece. So in order to make this manageable, you want to look for two advisors who can do these things. Again, creating the product and selling the product. And you can compensate them in a host of ways. You can compensate them with percentage of revenue that they bring in and or equity in the company, which Mm. leads me to my next question. And we're going to get deeper on compensation because this is, A, it's important, and B, the contract Mm. around the compensation and around the, the advisory position and or the board position is critical. And this is where a lot of people make mistakes. Okay. So this may sound a little weird, but what kind of business do you want to be when you grow up? And the reason I'm asking you this, Winona, is because there's this super lame VC term called a lifestyle business that describes businesses that are valued at under a billion dollars. As you well know, being in the business for a long time, A unicorn is a billion dollar plus valued business. Anything below that is a lifestyle business. So you could be a $500 million business and you're a lifestyle business. And VCs like aren't that interested in that. That said, if you want to be a unicorn when you grow up, that has implications on both how your company is structured and it has implications on how your board of directors is structured as well. So there's no wrong answer. What kind of business do you really see yourself being? Well, you know, this is the first time I've ever heard of lifestyle business. So see, that's another check mark for why I find women are so important <laughs> to create these. Well, no, because these are this, Keeping you were, it real. You created a safe space for women not to know, you know, and to ask a question. That's not always, that's not always the case. And you and I both know that. Uh, but to answer your question, I would definitely say a lifestyle business not a unicorn because we care about how we grow. So we, we want to make a lot of money, but we want to make it smartly and sustainably. And, you know, we have an impact piece to it. Not that not a lot of VCs don't want to really care about that, but that's just the truth. And so there's some things I'm not going to uh, not do because the VC doesn't want to hear it. Uh, but that is that those are, those are our values and that's how we want to grow and that's how we want to operate. I love that. I think that is so smart. And P.S., Running a $500 million business is pretty badass. So lifestyle right. it up, in my opinion. Yes. Right. Are you kidding me? Exactly. Hell yes. Maker Studios is going to be a $500 million business right. and you're going to exit and be hella rich. Is that the plan? That's the plan. Thank you. Hallelujah. Fantastic. Okay. Got it. So you need to start planning out the equity structure and your cap table now. And I know you've already been doing that because you've raised VC and you're going to continue to raise VC. But 10 years from now or 15 years from now, when a big company comes knocking on your M&A door, mergers and acquisitions, you want to own as much of your company as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. A huge amount of female founded brands that should go nameless that are household names, but we're not going to like out them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people didn't know. They Mm ended the day with owning less than 1% of their company. So when they IPO'd or exited, they didn't get really get rich. 
That's not, that's not my plan. <laughs> no. And it's a bummer and it's, and it's a bummer, which is why we talk about the cap table so much. All right. So let's talk about your board of directors. The cool news is that since you're an LLC, which is a limited liability company for the, our audience, obviously, you know, that you legally do not need a board of directors, but you yeah. can have one. You can have one oh. if your operating agreement sets up the management structure as a board. Okay. And you can always change your LLC to have the management structure as a board. If that's something you want to do, which sounds like because you want to be a $500 million company, you should do that. And the good thing about having a board of directors is that a board can add formality to your business operations, which is which keeps you on task, on target, hitting your goals. It keeps yes. you accountable. And since Maker Studios is still relatively new, a board of directors can provide a legitimacy factor yes. for potential mm -hmm. investors and partners. So it's such a good question and you should have a board of directors. It's one of those things where names and street cred are important. Yes. Right. And this becomes the difficult part. But again, just wrapping up the legal piece, you're under no legal obligation as an LLC to have a board, but we've moved past that. You're going to do it. Mm -hmm. All right. Given that you want to be a large global company and likely exit for a boatload of cash and retire on an island in like a caftan with your hot hubby and your blue hair, yep. you need to start thinking about a proper board. So who should they be? Number one, you need the biggest name you can find in green manufacturing, who can legitimize your company instantly by just them being on the board. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in green manufacturing, but it needs to be in manufacturing real estate, green manufacturing offices, homes, et cetera. So I would look at who your competitors are, who's on their board, who are the CEOs of those companies. Just really dig into like, I want to be like that company one day. If you have your sure. like dream company, I want to be them when I grow up, start to build relationships with the, the CEO of that company or the COO of that company, the senior leadership of that company, because they could be partners, they could be advisors, but ultimately you want, you need that name on your board of directors because that right. name is going to open up all the doors for you. That's like priority numero uno. It has to be in your industry. And it has to be someone that everyone's like, oh my gosh, that person is a baller and Maker Studios mm -hmm. is super legit. And they're open. They're mm -hmm. just opening up doors for you because once you Got have it. that door open, you're going to go in and close. You and your advisors and your team are going to go in and close. Mm -hmm. So that's number one board of director, Got it. the big name. The second BOD you need, and you only need two right now. I'm telling you, you need two advisors and two board board members. That's it. I mean, four is a lot of people, but you know, we're just starting off. Mm -hmm. You want a known operator in home or office manufacturing logistics. Does that resonate? It does. So again, look at your big competitors and who are their COOs, who are their VP of ops, head of supply chain, et cetera, and just start making a list and start making these connections. Use LinkedIn. Use the iPhone Women Network, use the mm -hmm. Visa Network, use anybody you can to just start making friends with these people. I mean, it, it doesn't happen overnight. As you know, right. networking mm -hmm. is the hardest thing about building a business, yes. but it's the most important thing to invest in. Right. I find it excruciating. I'm just being real <laughs> with you. It's, it's my biggest Achilles heel, quite frankly. Yeah. Is networking. <laughs> it is. It is. And it's so I'm not going to sit here and pretend it's like, oh, it's easy. Mm -hmm. Just network. 
and mm-hmm. find these people because it's hard. It's not, it's not easy. It is not easy. And this show is a no BS show. And I'm not going to pretend to say it's easy because it's not. And it takes mm-hmm. time. But use your connections. You have you do have the benefit of having a lot of great connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and so use them. Don't be afraid to make the ask because you need these two people, whoever they are. Remember the big name yep. in green manufacturing or in manufacturing, real estate, you know, your sector, yep. which is sort of cross, you know, you, there's multiple sectors you can play in. Right. Which is actually good because it sort of opens up the aperture. And also, as you kind of cruise along, you may find that you really are all about supplying housing in low income neighborhoods. So you want to network with those real estate developers, Mm -hmm. like the biggest real estate developer in certain cities. And that person, the CEO of that company should be on your board. Or you may find that schools are your jam. Finding a niche is something that any great company that can scale and grow does early. So I would also encourage you, I know this isn't about the board necessarily, but to try to see if you can find that niche sooner than later. It may take you two years, Mm -hmm. but two years is fast. And overnight success takes five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. So once you find your niche and you're like, oh my gosh, we can at scale produce X amount of classrooms. Mm -hmm. That's your, that's your niche. We can produce X amount of off-campus or on-campus housing. We can produce X amount of low-income housing in urban areas, whatever it is. Once you figure out your niche, then you can find that like mad dog name yeah, right. in that niche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, that oper- and the, the operator doesn't necessarily need to be in the niche. It's great if they are, but they do need to be in office and home manufacturing logistics. Right. Got okay. It. Let me pause. How does this feel? No, it makes so much sense. And I like how you divided it up into the two pieces of formality, how, how these individuals or board of directors and advisors can help with the formality of the company with just opening up a lot of opportunities to then make those connections uh, for, to find clients, to identify those clients and acquire those clients. And then the other part is to hold me accountable as CEO and founder of a company, because I'm so busy on the construction site, you know, making sure that the numbers are met, the metrics are being met. Um, you know, that's what those individuals will help to do. So you nailed it. Uh, and and it, it resonates. It makes a lot of sense. And to go ahead and start for me, you know, my homework obviously is to go ahead and start making these connections and doing that deep research and deep dive into you know, those that, that I consider competitors in the space versus the clients that I'd like to attract as far as a B2B you know, company. So, Absolutely. no, it makes, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's Good. great. I want to close out with talking about comp structure because it's important and contracts. Okay. So let's talk about the appropriate equity for an advisor or a board member. So the advisors we were talking about before, if they're bringing in business, I would, if it were me, I would give them a piece of the action. Your advisors, you want doers. How many times have you had someone say, oh my gosh, Winona, what you're doing is so cool. Like I want to be on your advisory board, or I want to advise you. And they mean well, but they're not exactly who you want. And you know, they're just going to be like bopping in and out and really just using your street cred to up their street cred. Does this sound familiar? It sounds sounds very, very familiar. And it comes across as very selfish once you start delving into what they actually want from you versus what they can provide. Correct. Which is why everything is on a contract and everybody's roles and responsibilities are outlined. And if Mm. people don't meet those roles and responsibilities, they don't get paid. 
So let's just take your salesperson. I'm just going to be super mm -hmm. basic, right? You need somebody to create product, somebody to sell product. So whether right. it's biz dev, partnership, sales, whatever you want to call it, salespeople are going to be motivated by money. So you're going to want to give them a percentage of a sale that they bring in, plus a little mm -hmm. bit of equity in the company that vests over four years. An advisor should not get more than a quarter of a point of equity, mm. one quarter of 1% of equity. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard from founders, especially women founders who are like, oh, I have all these advisors. I'm like, how much equity are you giving them? They're like, oh, one is 5%, one is 10%. And I just want to cry wow. because just no, just yeah. absolutely not. So it's a quarter of a point plus a percentage of the sales they bring in. And that is all in the contract. Okay. And you can even do that with your logistics person, because if they're going to buddy up with the partnerships person and you all are going to be like a little, you know, the three musketeers and go out and do deals, mm -hmm. you want everybody to feel incentivized. Mm -hmm. So that's right. all well and good. You want to make sure the equity vests over four years. That's kind of can be a negotiation point, And I don't want to get too in the weeds on this. Right. I have an advisor who I hounded her for two years. I really wanted this person to be an, I'm sorry, pardon me, a board member. We only have two and we are a four-year-old company. So that tells you how precious I'm being about our board seats. Right. But I really wanted this person and she wanted a two-year vesting with no cliff. So you can negotiate on the number of years of vesting mm -hmm. if you've got a rock star. So those are your advisors. For a proper board member, the big baller who's the mm -hmm. CEO of a company who gets paid, they're on other boards, they're getting paid anywhere from fifty to a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year just to be on a, a corporate board. That's mm -hmm. what they make, plus equity. So for startups, we can't afford to pay our board members, neither can you. If this person is a person that knows what they're doing in the mm -hmm. in terms of startups and really cares about helping you grow your business and is the right fit, they're not going to give you a hard time about that. They are going to want equity, of course, and depending how big the name is and how much street cred they have and how much time they are going to spend working with you on opening up those doors, because mm -hmm. remember, that's what that board is there to do. The one board member is opening up the doors. The other one is lending operational street cred. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the door opener. Depending on how much time they're going to give you, it is typical to give them a half a point to maybe three quarters of a point process that audience. Again, you're not giving them 5% of your company, right? You're just not period. End of story. Mm -hmm. We'll have another episode about cap table structure because I don't want to like get away from the whole, you know, should I have a board or not? Which is the problem we've solved, which is yes. The net net, my good friend, the net net is that you do not want to give away more equity in your company than you have to. Right. So again, should I have a board? In Winona's case, the answer is absolutely yes. Yes. And that goes into what they're doing and cap table management. You don't want to give away more equity in your company mm -hmm. than you have to. You've already raised VC. You're already a little bit diluted. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You're going to grow in, in scale into a $500 million business and you're mm -hmm. going to exit and be hella rich, That's which right. means you're going to need to raise more VC and become more diluted, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Just be so careful about it at the beginning. Right. And at the end of the day, what are we all here for? To get rich. Make money. To make money and to get rich so we can pay it forward right. to the women coming up behind us because that's what we're all about. We're that's all right. about 
all the money for all the women now. That's right. Winona, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. I'm so excited. It's like talking to an old friend. That's right. A sister in this. Um, you know, Karen, it's so great to see the evolution of iPhone women. Definitely wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without iPhone women, creating that safe space to raise money and just to ask questions to get to the better questions to, to get more money. Uh, so I just want to just hugely thank you, hugs and kisses for all the work that you're doing, continue to do. Just ready to thank rock and roll, ready so to much. learn, ready to set up my board of directors and advisors. Thanks to you. Yes. I love it. I thank love it. You. I love it. Entrepreneurs, thank you for listening to this episode of the iPhone Women Show. If you loved what you heard and you learned stuff, please go and give us a five-star review. That's right, five stars. Do it, do it, do it. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and share it with everyone you know, or at least share it with the entrepreneurs in your life. And you do have our permission to share it with dudes. We are an equal access funding platform. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, concerns, thoughts, feelings, whatever, follow Follow at iPhone Women on all the socials. We would love to hear from you. Slide into our DMs and we will totally get back to you.